So I'm going to address something right out the gate, uh, just so I can continue in God's Word. If I were you, and I was sitting in the audience, and I saw someone like me sitting up here, the question that would be going through my mind is, what happened to this part of his body, right? What happened to his face? Okay, so let's just clarify this right out the gate. Let's get on the same page, and then we can all dive into God's Word together. So, I was uh, working on my house, taking a weight-bearing wall out and putting a beam in. Pretty manly job. Okay, let's just start there. And I was using a wrecking bar, which is this huge, like, pry bar, which is amazing. A huge crowbar. And, and if you're doing anything with a wrecking bar, just know you're a man, okay? And so... <laughs> I was, and and then I needed something to get a little bit further in the seal plate between the rafters and the seal plate. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. And I stuck uh, a regular pry bar in there, and my grandfather-in-law, who was doing a great job managing, stood there and he said, hey, buddy, you're not... (laughs) You're not going to get enough leverage with that thing. And in my head, I'm thinking, but have you seen these, right? Like... (laughs) Come on. And so I was pulling on that thing hard, and it slipped out, and I literally punched myself in the face with the pry bar. So first question, everyone was like, oh, and you're probably like, oh, you got to preach tomorrow. And I was like, no. I was like, oh, I hope it's not that bad, because I got to get this thing done, because my wife's going to kill me. Yikes. Uh, but I did get it done. I got it done. We have an open concept house now. Um, yeah, yeah. It's standing. So anyway... The title of this message this morning is He Is, and like that video just said, we're going to look at one question of who do you say Jesus is. Uh, I invite you, we're going to be in in Matthew 16 this morning, um, and I invite you to stand in reverence of reading God's Word. Uh, We're going to start in verse 13, and then we're going to read quite a a chunk to uh, verse 25, and then I'm just going to break it down for you. We're not going to walk verse by verse necessarily, but almost kind of point by point in this passage. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you've only been coming here for like six months, you probably think Peter's like the only dude in the Bible. <laughs> but he's not. There's more. There's more people. Uh, it just happens to be we're going to be talking a little bit about Peter and Jesus this morning. <laughs> Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build a church, build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be, have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes to be killed and to be, ra- and to be raised on the third day. Peter, looked, uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. If you're ever rebuking the Lord, just know you're wrong, okay? <laughs> Jesus turned and he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. 
Because you are not thinking about God's concerns, hear this, but human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time together. God, I ask that through um, this message and through uh, your words, God, that you would give us a love um, for your scripture, that you would give us a love to hear from you and a desire and a passion and a yearning to know you, Lord. God, that you would um, ignite uh, things inside us that, that... Back in curiosity about who you are, Lord, that um, don't allow us uh, to sit um, idle in the places we are, that don't allow us just to maintain in this life, Lord, but that you, God, would call us to run forward. God, that you would call us to run to you. God, that you would use us to change this community, that you would use us um, to bring glory to you through our families uh, and through our jobs and through um, our lives personally. Lord, we love you. We thank you for having the power to do all of these things. So we ask that you would, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what you need to know right off the gate, if my head does split open, okay, I do have Band-Aids, all right, and I need a mom to come up here. I'm like half joking. All right. So... As I was looking at the scripture and as I was looking at these passages, um, you know, I, I began to, to really ask that question, okay, who, who do I say Jesus is, right? And if I asked y'all, who do you say Jesus is, uh, likely because of your history and your background, whether you were raised in a Southern Baptist Sunday school, whether you were raised um, in Pentecostal, whether you were raised Catholic, whatever that is, like, you would have, um, maybe you weren't raised in church, maybe this is your first time to church today. You would have um, very different definitions of who Jesus is. That our, our idea and understanding of the character and the person of Jesus and the role of Jesus in our life would be drastically different. That, that who we say Jesus is t- seems to vary a lot. <clears throat> in fact, I, as I was asking the question, I decided that I would ask the most, uh, one of the most reliable sources I know, which is Google, right? And so I would just Google it in, who is Jesus, right? Simple, it's on my phone, got it. And then I did something that I thought was a pretty great idea. I pressed images, Google images on who Jesus is. And what I got was kind of funny, but also slightly alarming. And so here's some of the uh, top results I just thought I would share with you, that you have homeboy Jesus. Uh, Yes, he's great. Too nice to kick over a table in a temple, I think, but he seems like a great guy. Uh, And here's our next one. Um, We have Jedi Jesus for you Star Wars fans, like this may be a Jesus you want to know. I don't know. Uh, And then our next one, this is the creepiest of them all. This is bearded baby Jesus, okay? Uh, If you gave him a razor, that would be a straight baby. Like, he would be in youth ministry maybe. I don't know where he would be. But that is bearded baby Jesus. Did that guy die on the cross for you? I don't think so. Okay. Then you've got superhero Jesus. He kind of in the same role as Santa Claus, just saying. And then you have... Uh, scared Jesus, which that guy looks terrified. I think he would have hid in a cave the whole time. And then you have mugshot Jesus. Yes. 
Yeah, not. I got some like, uh. I'm just saying you've never taken a good mugshot, right? I don't know if you've been arrested or not in here, but if you have, yeah, raise your hand if you got a classy mugshot, right? No, you don't, okay? They're just bad. And this would probably be mugshot Jesus. And then lastly, you have classic cartoon Jesus. Way too white to be a Jew, honestly, okay? Way too white to be a Jew. Um, Jesus was Jewish, just by the way, so we know that. Let me clarify. You know what's interesting about that? That's who our world says Jesus is. That's who our world says Jesus is. Hey, who, who is Jesus? Let me, let me see Jesus in the world. Let me ask the world, right? That is the world's understanding of the God of this Bible. That's scary. And so why I ask the question is because who you say Jesus is really will correlate with everything you do in life. That the way you live your life correlates with who you believe Jesus to be. That whether you're in here and you're like, I don't believe Jesus to be even anyone, they're real at all, then you're going to walk out of here and you're going to um, address the, the restaurant waitress or waiter. You're going to uh, drive in traffic. You're going um, to listen to music and watch things that correlate with that idea that Jesus has no role in my life, but simply my life and my purpose in life is success and is pleasing this inner beast inside of me that's always hungry for more. And if you're in here and you say, no, no, I believe Jesus um, to have some merit and some value. I believe Jesus is a God who is a checkbox God that says, I want you to do these things to make you a good person. Hey, you're at church this morning? Man, that is so great. Jesus is clapping for me. He checked that box. Oh, and you prayed before you ate dinner tonight. Great, sweet. And you believe Jesus to be those people, then what you're going to do is when you're in public, you're going to act as though you know Jesus. But when you're in private, you're going to do whatever you want because there's no checkbox for that. And if you're in here and you believe that Jesus is, in fact, a God who came to die for you and then defeated death to give you new life, and you live in that, then you walk out of here, your life will correlate. That you will love people the way he loved people. You will be broken for people the way that he's broken for people. I love that statement because there's no way to show brokenness, right? Like, like if your heart's truly broken, that's something that God has done in you and no man can like see the brokenness of your heart initially. That you're truly broken, but regardless, wherever you, whoever you believe Jesus to be, correlates with your attitude and your life, that believing Jesus to be a certain kind of way changes things. Right? In fact, if you're, you're halfway through, I don't know if you know this, if you made New Year's resolutions, on majority, you're halfway through breaking them. So congratulations. You got about two weeks of solid gym time, and, and then you're, you're kind of like, well, that hurt, and that was painful, and I'm done with that. Okay? And you're like, I want pie now. I didn't eat pie for two weeks. I want it now. And you're like, I read a lot of book, a lot of book, and I'm done reading my books for the year, right? And, if you want 2019 to be different, if you really want it to be different, it's not going to be how many books you read, how much weight you lose, how, how, how good you're necessarily eating that's really going to cause a life change. You want 2019 to be different, change your perspective on Jesus. Jesus. 
change your perspective on Jesus. And so it begs the question. It really begs the question of who do you say Jesus is? If this really affects our entire life, it correlates with everything we do from this moment on. Who do you believe Jesus is? And this morning, I just want to kind of prime the pump. See, next week, uh, Pastor Heath's going to come back and he's going to start a series in the book of Luke. And what we've been studying in, in Peter is, is Peter's writing about, here's what I learned from Jesus and here's, what I, here's who I know Jesus to be. But in Luke, we're going to really spend some time on just studying, hey, here's who Jesus is. Here's who the Jesus of this Bible is. And so I just want to kind of get us to a, to a same page, a good starting point. That regardless of our backgrounds, we may see Scripture clearly and understand it together. And so this is the same question that I just asked you. Who is Jesus? Who do you say is that Jesus then asked his disciples in Matthew 16? It says, when, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, what you need to know about that place, Caesarea Philippi, is it was a pagan place, that it was a godless place. People were not worshiping um, the God we know or, or the God of this Bible, but were worshiping the God of self, were doing their own thing. It was a pagan place. And it's interesting that it's in the pagan place that Jesus asked them some of the uh, biggest and hardest questions. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or the prophets. He's like, right, okay, now I know what, what everyone else is saying. And then he get, makes it real and he says, but, but what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? See, it's in the pagan places that our answers are truly revealed. It's in the places that we're tempted the most. It's in the places where where the biggest pain is evident. It's in the places where the biggest hurdles in our life come into play. It's in those really hard places, those dark places sometimes, those those secret places of our life sometimes, that Jesus asks the question, hey, in this moment, in this spot, who do you say I am? What power do you say I have over your life in this time right now? Who am I in this moment? Not in the easy time, oh, it's Christmas and we're all getting gifts. No, no, no. I, I want the time where, where it's really hard for you. Who do you say I am in that moment? See, I think it's in those times that Jesus wants to reveal who he is the most. That it's the opportunity for God to reveal himself uh, in the most clearly in those hard times. So he asks him, he says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. <laughs> Simon Peter, man, Peter just always jumping up. He says, you are the Messiah, <clears throat> the son of the living God. <clears throat> Boom, check, box, got that answer right. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my, by my Father in heaven. He says, man, nothing else around you is telling you that I am the Messiah, the son of God, but yet you know it. So you've got to know that that did not come from a world that believes Jedi Jesus. That this came from a world, that this came from a God who says, no, Jesus is my son. 
He says, man, blessed are you, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And this is an interesting statement, right? He's like, I tell you, you are Peter. And Peter's like, yes, I know, I am Peter. I get it, Jesus, right? No, he wasn't saying that. What he was saying, he says, you are Peter. Peter means stone, Petra. He says, man, I'm telling you, you are a stone. Solid, unmovable, non-corroding Hard surface, rock, unchanging, solid. It says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Peter answers, man, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He says, man, on that truth, on that rock, man, I will build my church. On the truth that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, God with man came to die and to, and, and to conquer sin and death. He says, yes, you've got it. I am the son of the living God. And I'm going to build a church that death cannot overcome, that hell cannot overcome. If only that was the end. <clears throat> it says, from this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took, a, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, that shall never happen to you. So wise, such wisdom there. Have you ever been to a baseball game? Where, I'm sure you have. That's kind of a dumb question, right? Have you ever been, you know, that game with the ball and the bat? Right, no, okay. So have you ever been to a baseball game? But, but here's the thing, is like... When I go to the baseball games, I don't really watch the game too much. I'm more of a people watcher, and I kind of know what the guys are going to do when they're playing. I like to keep up with the score, but, but truthfully, I like to watch one section, and it's the section right behind the batter. It's where all the, like, fancy seats are, and especially at, like, the, the, the pro games, the MLB games, like, that's where, like, you get all the ultimate, all the food for free. It, it, everything is super fancy back there. They got the big cushion seats. They kind of recline. And they're right behind the net. And they get front, front row action to what's happening at the home plate. And what's the greatest thing is, the greatest thing is, is to watch those people. Because what happens is they get so zoned into the game, they forget about the net. And then before too long, somebody pitches a fastball, and that batter comes up to bat, and he, and he foul tips it. And what happens when you foul tip a baseball that way is it launches straight backwards. And so these people are loaded with free food, and before they know it, there's a baseball flying at their face at like 100 miles an hour. And so natural reaction is not to just like, yeah, okay, no, natural reaction is to literally lose your stuff and just throw, you know, like flinch hard. And so what happens, it's just like a food fight, like in a moment, it just happens. Everything goes everywhere, people are screaming, it's chaos, and and then they realize, oh, oh, yeah, the net's there. Okay, no one's hurt? Yeah, that's a net. It's for that. Okay, great. It is the funniest thing to watch. We're like, dude, they did it again. Like, he just refilled that popcorn. It's gone again. But I think that is a good example of what happens with us in our relationship with Jesus all the time. I think it's a great example of what happens with Peter. 
That he says, you are the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, great, I'm going to have to go and die on the cross for you. And he says, no, my friend and my leader, that's pain, that's sorrow, that's loss, that's fear, that's lack of direction, that's hopelessness, that's an unknown to me. No, you can never do that. And he responds to his human nature. He goes on and said, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That often we forget about the safety net that Jesus says, hey, I provide life that death cannot touch. And when life, the fastball of life, comes at us, we respond with a human nature to flinch. That we flinch. That we respond humanistically. We don't respond with our eyes on the Lord. I kind of sympathize with Peter because what he did was not too uncommon for what we often do. That that fastball of life is promising fear. It's promising failure. It's promising an unknown. Maybe it's promising a situation you've never been through before. Maybe it looks like there is no good way out. That maybe it it, it is already seeming to tear maybe your family apart or different things are happening. That our natural reaction is going to be to flinch and then to forget. To flinch and then to forget completely about the promises of Jesus. In Exodus 14, there's like a pretty good story about the Israelites. And it's not really a story, it's an account about the Israelites. And, and they'd just been released from Egypt. They had been in slavery for like 400 years. And God used Moses to pull them out of slavery. And so they were out of slavery, and they had been out of slavery for like a couple of days. And they are celebrating, they are cheering, they've got... Uh, their, their armor on, but yet they, were, they used to be slaves, and so they actually don't know how to fight, so it's just like Halloween there, right? Like, they're like, yay, whatever, we're dressed like soldiers. And, and they get to the, side, to the side of the Red Sea, and they're hanging out, and they're worshiping, and then they look, and they see the Egyptians decided to come back after them. And when they see the Egyptians coming after them, it says that they prayed to the Lord, they cried out to God, and then natural reaction, they began to freak out. They started to tell Moses, man, why'd you bring us out here? It would have been better for us to, to be slaves in Egypt than to die in the desert. What is wrong with you? And lost all hope. That they flinched and then they forgot. And, and it's amazing the response of God in the moment. That God doesn't like rebuke them or strike them down. Like how gentle our God is with us. That he responds so gently. He says, hey, hey, hey. I want you just to look at those Egyptians because you're never going to see them again. Like, I, I want you to look at the things going on in your life and I want you to trust me. Continue to praise me. Continue to trust in me and my plan for you. What happens then is, is that, if you don't know the story, Moses leads them through the Red Sea and, and the Egyptians are swallowed up by the Red Sea. And the, and the Israelites are fine. 
Israelites are unhurt, untouched. And it says that the next part of the scripture is they go on to worship God and sing a, a song of praise. But then yet again, another problem happens and they do it again. It's our human nature. And when hard things happen, we tend to abandon all the truth and all the promises and all the hope that, that God gives us. And we begin to respond like Peter. And Jesus' response to Peter, I just read it. He turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's rough, by the way. I don't know if anyone ever called you Satan. Like, that's like worse than a cuss word. And Satan always uses, he uh, said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, what you need to understand is Satan's always going to use distraction, discouragement, and deception. Distraction, discouragement, and deception in your life to pull you away from seeing God's plan and understanding where God is calling you. That he's always going to use things, and you can probably mark in your mind right now, man, what's distracting me, or what's discouraging me, or what's deceiving me that is calling me away from God's plan in my life? See, Peter was at a moment where he was distracted by, whoa, whoa, you're dying, discouraged. Like, no, you, you, like, I, I can't lose you, and deceived as if Jesus living was going to be better than Jesus dying. That Satan was using distraction, discouragement, deception. And that's what he's going to use in our lives. He's going to use those things in our lives to pull us away from seeing God's true plan and seeing our value and seeing how God wants to use us and change us and mold us and, 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 and send us. But that is huge. And he tells them, he says, hey, you are a stumbling block to me. He just told me, he said, Peter, Petra, stone, you are a stone. And on the stone, I will build my kingdom. And then he comes back and he says, now you're not being a stone that's being built for the kingdom. Instead, you are a stumbling block that is causing the kingdom to stumble in its building. To not be able to go as quickly and as, as, as smoothly. Instead, you are a stumbling block to the work of Jesus in your life and in this world. In 1 Peter, Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter, I'm probably from this account or something other where he says, Hey, we are living stones. We are living stones being built into spiritual houses. That you, in fact, are a living stone. With the purpose of being built into a spiritual house. But some of us have taken on the demeanor not as a living stone for the kingdom, but as a stumbling block. That because we've been responding to fear, anger, our past, our lack of of ability to forgive... Our lack of, or our need to to hold everything and be in control of everything, have become stumbling blocks. That we're in Peter's shoes. That we are not being people. And I find myself, and this is not like, hey, this is the way you always are. No, it's it's a moment by moment, daily thing. That just as quick as this happened where Peter was, hey, you you are, that's absolutely right. I'm going to build my church on you too. Hey, dude, you are a stumbling block. That quick. Turn of an event. You know how fast things happen. Everything's good and then 
something tragic happens, something unexpected happens, something um, unplanned for happens, and we become a stumbling block. We respond to fear. We respond to, to uncertainty. And we clinch up and we tighten up and we hold everything together and we stop trusting. We flinch and we forget. If that's what was happening, that he was using his own ability to, to try to continue to, to make things right, and God said, no, 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 no. You're a stumbling block when you do this. Then Jesus goes on. Verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You understand, he's not talking about carrying heavy burdens. Some of you come in here and, and your thought on God is, man, he puts a lot on my shoulders. He makes me carry heavy things. I've got to perform and I've got to be and I've got to act like I've got it all together and everything's good in the sight of God that I don't only pray to him when I've made good decisions. I only, I only read the Bible when everything's going well that day. That I only spend time with God when I feel clean enough. When I've truly denied myself and taken up my cross, then I can run to him. But what you understand is he's not referring to carrying heavy burdens. He's not referring to you being enough. He's simply saying, hey, if you want to be my disciple, someone who's following me, someone who's being changed by me, and someone who is completing my mission in this world, then what you need to do is just give yourself wholly to me. That every moment, saying, God, every moment, I want you to take this part captive. Every moment, God, help me to love this person in front of me well. Every moment, saying, God, let this moment be yours. And in the moments we forget, saying, God, I'm sorry, make this moment yours. Make this next moment yours. It means giving yourself wholly to the work of God in your life. Completely to the work of God in your life. He goes on. He says, whoever wants to be saved, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. I love that last part of this passage. He says, whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. He says, whoever seeks to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I think a lot of things distract from that, that verse, that line. That Jesus isn't giving an ultimatum. He's not giving this like, do it or die. He's giving an invitation. He's saying, hey, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've got going on, but I've got something greater. I have an invitation for you to find new life. What he's saying, he's saying, man, I got an invitation for you to experience a death to your uncertainties, to our brokenness, to the things that enslave us, to the things we enslave ourselves to because of fear, to the things that we break ourselves over for the sake of stability. He's saying, hey, you want to find a new life? Follow me. That when we follow Jesus, we find new life. 
that that's who Jesus is. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his son to live here, to die the death we should have died, and then to defeat death and, and sin. That whoever placed their faith in him would be saved. But John 3.17 says, For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. That Jesus didn't come to put a heavy burden but to give you life, to give you life that, that is more complete than we could have on our own. Some of you, some would tell you that this passage means that you've got to carry heavy things. You've got to carry hard burdens. That's not what Jesus is saying. See, what happened was Jesus said, hey, who do you say I am? And Peter says, hey, I think you are the son of the living God, the Messiah. He says, that's right. And most of us would quote that. And most of us could say that. And then human nature stepped in. The fastball of life came. Human nature stepped in. You see that. And Peter said, whoa, 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 you can't do that. And then Jesus said, no, no, no. I need you to understand. If you're going to follow me, then I need you to deny those things. I need you to give your fears over to me. I need you to give your concerns over to me. I need you to allow me to hold it all together. And you let loose of trying to hold it all together. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not doing a good job of holding it all together anyway. I kind of think of it, uh, this new life, I I think of it um, like when I got married. That when I got married, I, I stopped living a single life and I started to live the married life. What that means was I wasn't hanging out with my buddies all that much. Instead, I was hanging out with my wife more. And my buddy's like, what's up? Why aren't you hanging out with us? And I'm like, my wife is way prettier than you. Like, <laughs> smells better, everything. Cooks better. It's, it's a whole different, like, why would I go hang out with you, right? Like, here is my wife. But here's the truth. <clears throat> I cannot continue to live a single life and also live the life of a husband and a father. That those two things don't work. I have to die to one. And Jesus is saying, I'm just calling you to die to the single life where you've got to handle it all on your own. And I'm calling you to life in me where you stop doing the old habits. Instead, you begin to trust me with it. It's like a WWE wrestler, for another analogy. I know that's a totally true show, unscripted. And they were, you know, like you see the two guys wrestling and they're throwing each other on the ground and it's like the grossest because they're all sweaty. Is anyway. And so the guy on the ground right at the last moment before he's about to tap out, he, he leans over and he tags out. And his partner jumps in. I believe it's an invitation. Jesus is saying, man, I, I'm, I'm telling you to tag out. I'm giving you an opportunity to tag out that life's a bear. Like, life can be hard. Like, there's a lot of great things in life, but in a minute, it can become overwhelming. He's saying, man, I am calling. I am inviting you to find life that puts a death to those uncertainties and insecurities that allows me to hold it together where you don't have to anymore. It allows you to find true faith in my plan and where you begin to see your purpose and your value as you begin to be broken for people the way he's broken for them. As you begin to love people regardless of what they've done to you or what they've done to anyone else. 
that you begin to forgive people, that you begin to, to be generous towards people, that it is this, where you, when we begin to do those things and say, Jesus, okay, how would you have me tip this waitress? How would you have me uh, do these things? Like, how would you have me handle this business meeting? Then we begin to see our purpose in the role of other people's lives. We begin to see our purpose in this world. River Oak will begin to see its purpose in this community. That when we choose to follow Jesus. And so I just ask you, man, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not in here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you're like, man, this new life where I'm not having to hold it all together sounds really good. You're about to experience a moment where you, you can find new life in Christ, where you can start a relationship with the God of this world through placing your faith in Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I, yeah, I've been following Jesus for a while. Are you being a stumbling block? Are you, uh, is God using you and the purpose he's placed in you? Or are you responding to a lot of fear and a lot of control issues and, and, and a lot of other things going on that the world tells you? Are you a stumbling block or are you a building block? I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes and, and bow your heads. And I just want you to listen as we, as we close out. I really just want you to listen and think. The world is full of distractions. But what Jesus says, and we see it in this passage, to put us on the same page, he says, I am life. And I bring light to the dark places of this world. I bring light to the dark places of your life so that you may see clearly his intent. What you understand is Jesus is the author of life. He's the perfecter of life and he's the director of life. That life is found in him. But what it looks like for you to follow him and to experience that life is one, you got to know his word. Maybe some of you need to start reading God's Word. Maybe some of you need to get in a life group where you're experiencing life with other people who are pointing you towards Jesus. Some of you need to spend time in His presence and worship. That up until this point, you have been just giving God a lip service. That worship with your heart in these times has not been happening, but, but in this moment as we finish out, you really need to read the words of these songs. You really need to, to understand them and, and as you sing them out, mean them. Some of you don't know Jesus. And what we have up here at the front are people standing ready to talk to you more about what that looks like, to pray with you as you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That this is your opportunity as we sing. But regardless, that we be on the same page, that when we follow Jesus, that we find life that frees us from insecurity, that frees us from fear. We find life that even though in our brokenness, even though things are going to happen and difficulties are going to come, that we are not alone, that we don't have to hold it all together, but that Jesus has the power to save and forgive 
Jesus is the one who paid it all so that we could experience all of him. God, I thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, I ask that you would move in the hearts and in the lives of my church family here. God, that you bring courage to those who you are calling their heart today. That you, They don't know you, but they, they want to know you, Lord, that you would give them courage to step up and to step forward and to step out for you, God, knowing that you hold it all together. They wouldn't continue to respond to fear. God, give us wisdom and clarity where we have been stumbling blocks. We have not been building blocks for your kingdom. God, I ask that you would be moving in this time as we sing and as we praise. Lord, we love you. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.